It was time to emerge from another vault. I've been down this road before, a couple times. The Capital Wasteland, the Mojave, the Commonwealth. After spending decades underground, I didn't really think there would be too much different with Appalachia. I mean, yeah, the bombs weren't dropping in West Virginia, but I knew that there would probably be some sort of desolate wasteland before me as I walked up to the vault door. When that light poured in and blinded me as I walked out, my eyes finally adjusted and oh... Okay, well this wasn't the desolate wasteland I was expecting. This was a lot prettier. The trees, first of all, had leaves. You know how much I love leaves on my trees. It was clearly autumn, too, because they were changing color and they were spectacular. The tricentennial signage! It's still standing! And it still has bright, vibrant colors. They're, they're, it wasn't blasted away by some nuclear explosion. Oh man, Appalachia's basically untouched. I started walking down the stairs to the Mr. Handy that was waving me on, saying that I missed the overseer, but uh, didn't really pay much attention to him. I was too busy listening to the sound of the wind and the animals in the distance. I mean, I'm sure there were probably some mutations here and there uh, that I would definitely come across, and I heard that there wasn't any other people around other than the rest of the Vault 76 dwellers. But this seemed like it was going to be pretty awesome. Alright, I think I could do this. I think I can help rebuild Appalachia. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 4 of Great Big Worlds. I'm your host, Grestiodos. You can call me Gress. And in this podcast, we are going to talk about the virtual worlds we live in, within our video games that we love and adore. And this episode is a unique one. Some might say a little controversial, but I think at this point, two years after its launch, it's time to move on and it's time to stop focusing on the past. I'm of course talking about Fallout 76. This game launched in November of 2018 and, yes, had a little bit of a rocky start. I myself started playing around March of 2019 and began to really understand just how amazing this game was despite the negativity. In fact, I held off because of all the negativity and I kind of regret that. This game is another major addition to the Fallout series, but unlike the other Fallout games, Fallout 76 is an online MMO, massive multiplayer online RPG, RPG? I guess it could be considered an RPG. Actually, while I'm recording this episode, it's just a few days before the launch of the Wastelanders update, which we'll talk about later. Now, Fallout 76 definitely wowed me, and it's captured me and kept me for quite a while. And we'll get the bugs and all of that out of the way now before I start jumping into the true amazingness of this episode. You may have heard it's buggy, you may have heard it's boring, 
I can assure you for the many, many of us that have been playing it, we can all attest to it's not quite as buggy as people lead on to believe. In fact, I've experienced pretty minimal bugs on both PC and on PlayStation. And as for being boring, well, <laughs> depends on what kind of games you're interested in. For me, I happen to like games where you can explore, and I like other people around me in online games, but not necessarily interacting with me. Fallout 76 was created on the idea that every human in the game was a real human. There was no human NPCs that actually existed when this game launched. Now in a few days, or maybe by the time you're listening to this episode, the Wastelanders update will hit and there will be human non-playable characters in the game. And quite a, quite a few <laughs> quests and new additions. But what I think is pretty remarkable is the chance that Bethesda took on this game by only having real humans as the humans in the game. It did add a weird sense of dystopia and post-apocalyptic nightmare. But there were stories, there is a main quest, there is a lot of things to do in Appalachia where this game takes place. The West Virginia hills are full of robots and remnants of the past previous people who once roamed the wasteland before moving away after the bombs fell. Because of this, you do have quite a bit to do, and the main quest is really taking on what they call the Scorched, and then taking down the Scorched Beast Queen, launching a full-fledged nuke on the queen and taking her down. It's kind of the end of the quest line there, the end of the story, the main story. All good stories have to come to an end eventually, right? But for me, this game really hit me with what I love, and that's exploration. Fallout 76 is all about exploring. It's all about the adventure, the fun. A little bit of quirkiness. That's what I liked about this game so much. Now let's back up to when I first jumped into this game in 2019. That first time I walked out of the vault and I realized that this was not the dystopian wasteland that I thought it was going to be. I had some sort of a hunch of what could lie ahead, but I didn't watch too many walkthroughs, playthroughs, or let's plays of the game because I didn't want to ruin the surprise of the new quests, the new world. And so when I en entered the hills of Appalachia and exited that vault, I just was taken away. Keep in mind, a previous episode I talk about how much I love the world of Tamriel and Elder Scrolls Online and how magnificently beautiful that is. I will go on record right now saying that Appalachia and Fallout 76 is just as beautiful and in some cases more beautiful than the world of Tamriel. Of course, obviously for different reasons, kind of comparing apples to oranges I know, but the overall detail in this world, the light, the color, the fauna and the foliage of 
Appalachia and Fallout 76 is way beyond what I was expecting, and it's definitely beyond what we've seen in previous Fallout games. In fact, as much as I love New Vegas, and I love Fallout 3, and I love Fallout 4, there's a lot of dead twigs. There's a lot of dilapidated buildings and dead animals, and it's kind of desolate. This is not desolate. This is rich with life. This took a lot of imagination to create this world. And I'm excited to finally, for the first time ever, see really a untouched world. Um, yes, the Mojave was untouched in New Vegas, but it's a desert. It's a little desolate to begin with. This was the lush forest, the weird bogs, the, <laughs> the swamps, and even a little bit of a desert-like feel with the Toxic Valley. That's what was so cool is I honestly thought that this game was just going to be one big forest and that the forest would eventually get boring. I thought how are they going to introduce different types of environments in Appalachia? And they did it really well and we'll get to that in a little bit. But my initial journey of walking out that vault, walking down the stairs, being greeted by a robot that welcomed me out of the vault and said I just missed the Overseer, which I always feel like I'm catching up or trying to catch up to the Overseer. Because I'm not somebody who likes to play with a lot of other people, I don't like player versus player combat is really what it is. I was so scared of running into people. I thought there's gonna be griefers. There's gonna be other vault dwellers that are kind of just messing with people that just come out of the vault. I didn't know that up until level 10, nobody could really mess with me. I didn't know how to turn on the pacifist mode. I didn't know when I built my first camp, I built it hidden in the forest, away from any road, way up on a hillside, and tried to camouflage it as much as possible, keep it as small as possible, because I thought other players could take over my camp and claim it. I didn't realize that, no, when you create a camp, it's yours. So I was terrified. The fear of other players was so real. And then it finally happened. I ran into other players. These other players were definitely a higher level than me. I was still in my blue vault tech uniform. I had built a two by two house or hovel on this hill and this power armored suited up high-level player and his buddy come walking in to my camp, waving, using their little emotes. I tried to ignore them. I panicked and acted like I was collecting twigs and wood. So I wandered away from my camp and just thought, oh, it's over. Just let them have it. It's not worth it. I'm going to die. I just ran away. I ran away. I didn't know what to do. And I just kept collecting wood. Well, they kept following me. But they weren't shooting at me. They weren't trying to attack me. Then they followed me back to my camp. And then they kept jumping up and down, up and down, up and down in this one spot. And then they waved me over. I went over and it took a few minutes. They were determined and very patient with me, but I realized that they dropped a bag. There's a bag at the foot of the player who was in power armor. 
And in that bag were stim packs, building supplies, plans. It was a gift to me. As soon as I took it, the bag disappeared. They thumbs up me, they jumped up and down, gave the little heart emoji. I figured out how to commute, com communicate with the heart emote. And then they ran away. It was at that moment I realized this community isn't what I think a normal online community is like. The Fallout 76 community, these vault dwellers in Appalachia, are much different than what you normally find. They just gave me and a whole bunch of stuff because they could see I was a low level. A few minutes later, and I'm not kidding, minutes later, another vault dweller, high level, finds me in the woods, weighs me over. I go, no way, this can't be possible. I hesitantly go over and walk to this vault dweller who wasn't in power armor, but was definitely a high level, so I was intimidated. I see them look at their pit boy Sure enough, a bag drops at their feet. I look in the bag, more stim packs, rat away, a whole bunch of food, purified water. I take the stuff, they give me a thumbs up, and walk away. And this happened so many times, up until I was about level 20 or 30, and then it finally stopped. And it's a kind of common code, I realized, and this was in PC. Later, it also happened on PlayStation, where just when you're in this game, when you're in Appalachia and you're a vault dweller, you help your fellow vault dwellers who are low level. And I have, I'm so excited to say that nearly every single person, maybe one or two I ran into were kind of trying to grief me, but by then I had figured out the pacifist mode, so I can't engage in PvP because I don't like it. I hate PvP. But everybody has this code of conduct in Appalachia where you help the lower level vault players. And it's amazing. And I myself, once I hit level 20, 30, started doing it too. And I still, to this day, if I find somebody a low level, I will go out of my way and give them a ton of stuff, usually around 40 purified waters, a bunch of stim packs, a ton of radex because I can't take it with my mutation that I have now. Uh, and tons of plans that I just have doubles of and nobody else wants to buy. And they're so grateful. And I, I could see the hesitation with other vault dwellers in this world when you're alone, you're building your first camp and some stranger walks in and gives you stuff. You don't want to acknowledge that that person's there right away. I can see the same reaction that I had when I first joined the game. And then they realize what happened and they're so grateful. <laughs> It's great. The people come to find out, especially in this game, and perhaps it's because of some of the things that this game and these people went through in the early beginnings of Fallout 76, but we are all very close-knit. There is a lot of great people in Appalachia. Real people. And though for the first year, I really tended to play alone. In fact, it was really over a year I played alone. I still felt like I was supported and I was with a group that really cared about what they were doing and appreciated this game for what it was. It was pretty awesome and it still is. Now, I know you may disagree and I don't care. In fact, at this time, I think it's kind of childish to 
continue to hate on Fallout 76. The game's not going away, my friends. It's only getting better. It was never that bad, either, when they finally fixed the bugs, so let's stop that now. It's time to grow up and move on. Now let's talk about the world. Appalachia. It's an amazing place. There isn't just forests around here either. Now the forest is probably one of my favorite places in Appalachia, but they managed to create a world, a map, that actually hits so many different types of environments. The run through of all the different areas, if you've never played Fallout 76, and I'll, I'll, I'll share a little bit about what they are. They're radically different, and they all make sense too. The landscape, the geography, it, it actually makes sense and it really ties in well with the real West Virginia world. So you really feel like you're in Appalachia. You start off in the forest. And the thing to know is the forest is the easiest place. It's the lowest level place. It's also the biggest, I believe, in the entire map. From there, you have the Toxic Valley to the north. A little bit higher level is needed to get up there. Now, the Toxic Valley is an interesting place, and I actually really like that place because it's so bright and sunny and kind of desolate. It's a little more like what we're used to in Fallout. But because of the sunshine and the abundant colors of the toxic water, it's actually just kind of makes sense. Ultimately, what it was is it was created from the runoff of the radiation and the fallout. And so it killed all the foliage and mutated the fauna and almost created a desert-like environment, but with hot springs and weird toxic pools. Uh, it's definitely a place that, as I learned very quickly when I wandered into it for the first time, that you need a gas mask, or at least some sort of perk that avoids the mutations and radiation of the environment. To the south of the forest in the Toxic Valley is the Ash Heap, which I didn't think I'd like that much, and I remember seeing it it's one of the most interesting places. You can see it immediately out of the vault, the giant excavator that's digging through the coal and the rock and the earth is viewable from pretty much most of the map. It's kind of intimidating. And I remember when I first saw it, even though I was a really low level, I actually ran to it. I wanted to see how far I could get because I couldn't understand what was on top of that mountain. And come to find out the ash heap is the result of coal mining up on the mountaintop. They've strip mined this mountain and it's ultimately released tons of toxins and ash and well, it caught fire at one point and it's been burning ever since. Much like an actual town in Appalachia. Some of you may know what I mean. When I saw the excavator, it was life-size. I mean, the biggest machine I've ever seen in any Fallout series. It puts the Pridwin to shame in terms of scale. I mean, it is absolutely remarkably big. 
Now, I didn't stay around for long when I first went to the ash heap because I was such a low level. I just saw it, I took some pictures, and then I ran away, back down the hill into Charleston, the capital city. Charleston, oh man, what an intense place. The entire city was washed away after a dam broke, and if you ever wanted to know what it would look like for a city to be washed away, visit Charleston in Fallout 76, because it really captures the intensity of something like that happening. You almost feel pain and sadness for the people that lived there. I mean, can you just imagine that dam breaking and those high-rises and buildings just being pushed away and washed away and knocked over? I mean, the land beneath you is just completely obliterated. It was insane. So the forest, the toxic valley, the ash heap, which is super toxic, and then dividing the west from the east is the Savage Divide, which actually may be the biggest piece, now that I think of it, besides the forest. It might, that actually might be the biggest piece of land. The Savage Divide is an intense place. It's rocky, it sounds exactly what it's like. It's a divide of mountains, a mountain range. And in it is extremely high-level creatures, extremely intense enemies, and also the home of a lot of raiders and some of their leftover robot remnants as well. Talking about Rose. Rose is an interesting character. She's a robot, but she's a raider robot. I won't ruin the story, but you'll find her on top of the world. From there, west, east, I'm sorry, east of the Savage Divide is the Mire and the Cranberry Bog, the last two environments. Now, the Savage Divide reminds me a lot of the northwestern or southwestern mountain ranges, the Ponderosa Pines, basically. It's much different than the forest area, even though it is a forest. It's rockier, it's a little bit more full of pines and a little less vegetation on the ground. But the mire, the mire is probably the most terrifying place to me now. It used to be the Cranberry Bog because that is ultimately the world or the region with the highest level of, <laughs> of creatures. But the mire, what terrifies me about that is when the sun's shining, it's beautiful. But these huge swampy trees, they hide the sunlight. And there are some crazy poisonous enemies in there. And the first time I ever wandered into it, I just thought, this does not feel safe. In fact, it was actually nighttime. And I remember I couldn't see much around me. In fact, there are some glowing things. There's a lot of anglers, I think was the first creature I actually ran into. And I just immediately ran away. In fact, I don't spend a lot of time in the mire because well, it's terrifying. There's no other way to put it. The swamp is terrifying. Pretty when the sun's out, but still terrifying and absolutely impossible to see everything when it's dark. But before the mire was the cranberry bog, and that scared me because it's a bog. It's very open. You can see as far as the eye can see. There's some interesting, weird 
pink forest, those forests in the cranberry bog, they, they look like overgrown mutated jade trees, but they're pink and they release these toxic spores that are beautiful. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous. And the first time I saw it and the first time I saw those spores fall from those pink trees, I knew that this was going to be bad and sure enough, I caught a disease, but it was just so darn pretty. And it wasn't as scary as the mire, except for the fact that the bog has a lot of bustling brush and low-lying grass. So you're constantly surrounded by this sound that sounds like something is crawling in the grass. And sometimes it actually is. But other times it's just the wind. Which terrified me for the longest time. Until I realized, if you just use vats, your vats will basically save you. And that's pretty much all I do when I walk through the cranberry bog is I use vats. And then in the center of the cranberry bog is Watoga, the city of the future. It is completely and totally ran by robots. Now, I ran into Watoga before I ran into the White Spring. Watoga, the robots are very hostile. Now, there is a way, as I found out later, and we'll get to that, where Watoga, actually, you can get the robots to not be hostile towards you. You can become mayor. But that was my first impression of a guarded area by robots. So when I found the White Spring later, and yes, it's a little backwards, I saw the robots and I thought, this is bad. I don't, I don't want to go anywhere near the White Spring. Those robots are super powerful. But I got closer and I realized they're friendly. And the White Spring literally is the glimmering jewel of Appalachia. And unlike Watoga's hostile robots, the White Spring robots are friendly, unless you shoot at them, and then they'll all turn on you for a couple hours. Apparently they have short-term memory loss, so they can't really remember when you've attacked them after a certain amount of hours, but it was truly incredible once I realized the sanctuary that White Spring is. But then there's the ghouls of White Spring. They're intense. They're very powerful. But if you run towards robots as a low-level character or any character, the robots generally will take care of the ghouls for you. Just jump to high ground and go near some of the White Spring, Spring robots and you'll be okay. I learned that very quickly. In fact, I then learned too that if I shot the ghouls once and then brought them to the robots, I could actually level up and catch that experience. Little tip for you Appalachia explorers out there that want to wander into 76. But the White Spring is perfect. This was what was really interesting about this game is in the entire Fallout series, we never saw a perfectly preserved society other than the Institute, maybe in Fallout 4, which I kind of liked the Institute a lot. But the Institute was underground and it was very sci-fi. The White Spring is perfectly normal. It's a real place that existed before the war. And it makes sense. The robots were programmed to protect it and they continued to protect it and keep it clean. Now, pro tip for you new players to Fallout 76, what I really enjoyed about the White Spring is not just its sanctuary, but the main building 
has a massive shopping center in the basement, ran completely by robots. Once I realized that they were selling pretty much anything I needed, I definitely used the White Spring shopping mall to get everything I needed from camp plans to build better walls and floors to new equipment and appliances. They have it all there for the right caps though. And that's the cool thing about this world of Appalachia and Fallout 76 is it completely smashes your stereotype of a Fallout game. And in my opinion, it's the best way. This is an incredible extension to the Fallout series because it's so radically different and it touches on a place that hasn't been nuked yet. Because let's face it, in that war, the, the, the entire United States was not turned into an ash heap. It was only main metropolitan areas. West Virginia makes sense that it wouldn't be attacked. West Virginia makes sense that it would be the place that Vault-Tec would deem as the actual, real, legitimate vault, where there wasn't some strange experiment running, where after 25, 26 years, you actually did emerge from the vault to rebuild the world like you were supposed to. And I loved that. This story felt real. And what I like even more is what's coming in a few days or has already happened depending on when you're listening to this podcast. The Wastelanders come back. I know what you're thinking. All right, the Wastelanders. But we'll get to that in a minute because I want to talk about the revolution I had during the COVID-19 outbreak here in the real world. You see, I never played with real people for about a year and a half when I jumped into 76. This world, I wanted to be on my own. I wanted to explore it on my own. I enjoy just taking my time and not being on somebody else's agenda. And so I've always played these types of games by myself. But when COVID-19 hit the real world, these virtual worlds that I talk about in this podcast, and especially Appalachia and Fallout 76, became so valuable to me. And fortunately, there is a vibrant Instagram community for Fallout 76. One I haven't seen for any other game out there except maybe Red Dead Redemption 2. But for Fallout 76, there is a huge push and a huge love of taking photos in Appalachia and posting them on Instagram. Now I'm telling you about this Instagram community because I ended up actually starting to play with these people. And I, though I was isolated in the real world, became less isolated because of playing with these incredible individuals. Now, I was on the Instagram community before the Instagram community knows me as I am today. Now, a lot of you don't know this, and I'm hesitant to confess it because I'm a little ashamed, but I had two Fallout 76 Instagram accounts. The first one, back in early 2019, was 
called Viva Fallout 76. Now, I had quite a few followers on that, and it was my PC account. But, like a lot of us, I needed to detox from social media, and I thought I would take a break from Instagram. I accidentally deleted my Viva Fallout 76 account instead of suspending it. I was devastated. I also accidentally deleted, instead of suspending, my personal Instagram account, so I lost that as well. A few months later, I came back on the PS4 as Josh Plays Fallout. And that's what most of you who have played with me and interacted with me on Instagram, you may know me as Josh Plays Fallout, not just Grestiodos. And that's because I had to create a new account. Oddly enough though, I started the account right when I found the Mechanist uniform, the Mechanist outfit, the one from Fallout 4, came to Fallout 76 during a bundle pack of atoms where you can buy extra stuff, much like the Crown Store in Elder Scrolls Online. It's a lot of cosmetic stuff. And that Mechanist outfit kind of stuck. It was goofy, it was fun, it was also kind of cool, and I loved it. And so I created Josh Plays Fallout, reconnected with a bunch of people who may not have remembered me or may have remembered me by now as Viva Fallout 76. Sorry, guys. I didn't know if I should confess that or not, but I'm going to confess it now. But when I came back, the Mechanist outfit stayed, and I reconnected with these amazing people and connected with even more people on Instagram. I mean, Again, I've never seen an Instagram community quite as vibrant as the Fallout 76 community. And we're not talking about just cheesy memes either. We're talking about people who take the photography just as serious as the actual gameplay. Because the photo mode and the environment and the world itself and the poses and the camaraderie and fun that you have with other people is just as amazing as the quest line and the story that Bethesda put together. And I think that's what Bethesda was really trying to go for. And especially during times like the COVID-19 virus and pandemic, a place like Appalachia and Fallout 76 has created this sanctuary and outlet for so many of us. And to Bethesda, I thank you for creating this world. I know there's other virtual worlds we can live in, but there aren't quite any as interactive and fun in my opinion at least, as Fallout 76, where you can live, build, quest, team up, and just ultimately be yourself or be a mechanist robot superhero who loves taking selfies in the sunshine. So when COVID-19 hit, things changed for me in 76. And as the lockdowns and Stay at home started to hit across the world. I started to play this game more and more and more and being separated from my quote unquote real world friends. So I started to play with other Instagrammers from the Fallout community. Now, the first one I played with was Scullyface, and I'll put their Instagram handles all in the description of this episode because they're amazing people and they create amazing photos and content on Instagram around Fallout 76. But Scully was kind of the first person I started to interact with. 
And from her, she introduced me to Floof Gaming, or Fluff Gaming, as some of us call her. And then from there, I started to meet more and more people. And I'll share in the description the Instagram handles of some of the players I've been playing with a lot who have ultimately become great friends in this game and really beyond the game. But we love Fallout. We love 76. We love it for its fun, unique, beautiful environments and gameplay. We love it for its flaws. We're going to love it even more when Wastelanders comes out. We're all so passionate about this game, but what I realized while playing with Scully and Fluff, Six, Fallout Creations, General Fox, I mean, Project Dance, all of these amazing people, I realized that this is something that truly enhances the game like you can't imagine. Within a few hours, I learned more from these individuals about Fallout 76, things I didn't realize you could do in Appalachia, than I learned the entire almost two years that I had already been playing this game. And then the loneliness started to go away during COVID-19. And we're still at the peak of this pandemic as I'm recording this episode. And yes, I still keep in touch with my other real world friends here in my real life, but I'm happy to have these Fallout friends as well because we'll play from all over the world. We'll share our real world adventures, but then we also can just escape to Appalachia. We can just focus on Fallout 76, and having fun, doing things there, finding new stuff, attending events, waiting for Wastelanders, <laughs> and buying cool stuff from the Atomic Shop, and learning about it on the Atomic Shop Anonymous show that Scullyface and Trizzle Plays puts on every week. I'll link that in the description as well. And then we love sharing as well some of the cool stuff that we find on Instagram. One of the people that sticks out the most to me in terms of really cool, unique creations is, well, we call him Mr. Skippy. I'll put his Instagram handle in the description as well, but he's an incredibly talented artist and has this very unique cartoon-like style of illustration and has created even more amazing levels of uniqueness to the Fallout 76 community. Fluff Gaming is another one, or Floof Gaming as we like to call her, is another one who has incredible illustration talents. And that's the thing about this world, is it spills over into our real world. It becomes something that we would admit we're a little obsessed with, but it brings out the talent of people, the fun uniqueness of people that I still have not seen in any other game I've played. I know the Elder Scrolls Online has a vibrant community as well, but I've never seen photography taken in the game like I have here in Fallout 76, mostly because Fallout 76 has a fantastic photo mode that's meant to be shared online. I've never seen artwork and passion for creating just unique perspectives of this dystopian alternative universe of Fallout 
like I have with 76. It's just, it's incredible. And then there's the actual events. There have been so many events in this game. And I started playing these before I started playing with this amazing Instagram community. And these events, like the Fashnacht Festival in Helvetia, I think it's some Swiss festival that happens every year. It's coming up soon, actually, where you collect these masks. There's a parade. There's Meat Week, where Graham and his Brahmin Chali create this really fun event. Those are probably two of my favorite events. They happen for a week or two weeks. And people come together and they team up and they collect these unique items and gain a lot of experience and cool stuff. And in some cases, make new friends. And what's neat is you're not just playing with people near you. I play with people all over the world. I guess you can in many other video games as well. <laughs> but here in the Fallout 76 community, maybe it's because of the flack, slack, flack, the flack. I think that's the word flack that the 76 game gets. Because of that, we all are very much united. We care a lot about the world that we live in, in Appalachia, and its future. I want to end this episode talking about Wastelanders. We'll wrap up with my excitement and expectations before the Wastelanders launch. And I'm recording this episode and publishing it just a few days before Wastelanders because I want to share a before and after and I feel as though because this game is changing so radically and it's going to become what a lot of us hoped and expected from a Fallout game, that this really deserves a whole nother episode later on. So this coming Tuesday, as I record this, is the expansion of Wastelanders. Of course, it's going to be completely free for all Fallout 76 players. An expansion and add-on that from what my understanding is is adding about 40 new locations including some locations that are being totally overtaken by human NPCs in the game one of my favorites is the space station and the toxic valley is now going to become a raider city people are returning to Appalachia they're returning to this world that so many of us called home and rebuilt for the past two years and it really hits you in fact somebody mentioned earlier this week that this is the last weekend that we have before Appalachia is changed forever well once again forever we no longer will have this world to ourselves it'll be shared with other characters with storylines with quests with new adventures that we just won't be able to experience like we have before. That excites me. It really does. I and so many are looking forward to other people returning to Appalachia. We're excited to have 
the legendary Bethesda storylines. And I know this podcast is called Great Big Worlds, and we talk about the worlds and the feelings and the environments and the being inside of these worlds. But you can't talk about a Bethesda game without the story and mentioning that storyline. And though they did do an interesting thing with the leftover human recordings and notes and robot NPCs, it just wasn't quite the same for a lot of us. And though I enjoyed my year and a half, almost two years in Appalachia, it's going to be nice to have human NPCs to play with again. It's going to be nice to see faces that aren't necessarily real faces on the other end. Now, I loved playing with all the people that I've played with so far, and I will continue to play with other people in this game. I know the benefit of it. I know how amazing it is when you play with other real people in Fallout 76, when you're in Appalachia with other vault dwellers, and we will always be the vault dwellers. It's unique in and of itself. These other people that are coming to Appalachia, they're not vault dwellers. They're ultimately survivors. So I don't have much more to say about Appalachia and the Wastelander update, except I'm excited. I'm anticipating because it's been delayed for so many months and because of COVID-19, push back an extra week for better QA and testing, that the world will stay stable. And though we might have a few bugs here and there, I expect it to be pretty much okay. And to my fellow Wasteland friends, or I should say Vault Dweller friends, I'll probably be on a private server for a little while playing Wastelanders, and it sounds like many of you also will be. So I'll see you in a week, and I'll chat with you, I'm sure, on PlayStation and PC. And that is all I have for Fallout 76. I know this was a little bit longer of an episode because I, I got into a little bit more than just the world itself, but. The thing about Appalachia, the thing about experiencing Fallout 76, isn't just the physical world itself, but it's the people you play with. And I will always enjoy playing by myself, and I will always want those moments to play by myself. We all do, right? But it is nice to play with other people in this game. It's probably the only game, actually, at this point that I enjoy playing with other people. So I hope you liked this episode, and if you did, be sure to subscribe, leave a nice rating and review on your podcast platform of choice, preferably Apple Podcasts. If you're not on Apple Podcasts, just hop over and leave a nice little rating and review anyway. It helps this podcast get out there a little bit more and more people hear this, uh, well, maybe some good stuff about Fallout 76 if you're also a Fallout 76 fan. And like I said, I'll be doing another episode in the future, a little bit down the road once I've played Wastelanders for a little bit, because... Yeah, it's going to change things a lot, but for the better. And to those of you still holding out on 76, come April 14th, if you haven't played yet, start playing. You might actually like it with the Wastelanders update. It might be everything you were hoping for, and I promise the bugs and the stability has improved a lot. In fact, Red Dead Online, I think, is the biggest catastrophe when it comes to online MMOs. 
which is a shame because I absolutely love that game too. And it will be a future episode. That's all I got. I'm Gressiodos, also known as Gress. Thank you for listening to Great Big Worlds, and enjoy Appalachia.